So if you haven't grabbed a Bible, uh, you should do so before you sit down. Sorry? Uh, That would be perfect. Thank you. And we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians 4. And the first person to find it in a green Bible, and I was confident that they've chosen the right passage. Could you tell me what page number that is? Page 138. So, uh, as I said at the beginning, today is a special kind of service, and it's also a special kind of sermon. This sermon is less about all of you, though I will be talking about all of you, and more for Kelly than anyone else. But it's true for all of us still. So I invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 1 to 15. And let's pray together. God, we trust that your living word is universal truth. And we trust that even when we are looking at it from a very specific angle or viewpoint or seeking to be encouraged in a particular, for a particular kind of role that you call us to, that it still speaks to all of us. And so, Holy Spirit, we trust that work to be done at this time. We trust that your living word will be that sword that cuts joint from marrow, soul from spirit, and will uh, enliven in us your purposes, your will, your strength, your power, for whatever call of obedience we hear today. May your name be glorified and praised in this place. Amen. So this is Pastor Paul writing to the church in Corinth, one of many letters that he wrote. Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. We have renounced the shameful things that one hides. We refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in clay jars, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. 
For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. But just as we have the same spirit of faith that is in accordance with Scripture, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will bring us with you into his presence. Yes, everything is for your sake, so that grace, as it extends to more and more people, may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. So, ordination sermons are a bit like funeral sermons. (laughs) For one thing, I've written a manuscript, which I don't normally do. And for all the jokes that we hear about the cemetery, oh, sorry, the seminary, (laughs) it shouldn't come as too much of a surprise to us, because we tend to joke about things that kind of speak a little bit of truth, don't we? There is a sense in which uh, choosing this life is saying goodbye to another kind of life, of putting it to death and choosing to live a life for Christ. But the foremost reason why I think, in my mind as a preacher, ordination sermons are like funeral sermons is because they are about weaving one person's story into a grander narrative albeit looking in two different directions. At a funeral, we stand firmly in the present and the future of the person who's passed on into glory, knowing where they are, and look back on their life for the moments of God's grace and mercy and the story that he told. And when we come together to ordain someone, we stand firmly in the present and in the past of the call that God has laid on them and how God has brought them to this very moment. But we're really looking towards the future of building and trusting in the hope of Jesus for what he will do through this person's ministry for the kingdom of God. So both the ordination and the funeral sermon seek to tell that one person's story in the light of the one story of the triune God. Each produces a beautiful tapestry that by the power of the Holy Spirit is meant to give everyone who hears it gratitude and hope for what the Almighty can do. Now, I'm not sure, Kelly, if that's what you had in mind when you chose this passage for your sermon text. You said that it was a passage, especially verses 5 to 7, that speak to you, that word speak to you, that euphemism that we use when we talk about something that's encouraging to us. But the whole text is God speaking, and so we listen. And yes, there is great hope and encouragement to take from those verses 5 to 7. The thought that Jesus chooses to shine through you and your weaknesses. The purpose that you have in declaring Jesus Christ has been the reason why you have followed this call. 
and that Jesus promises to equip you for that work despite your weaknesses. And the fact that it has always been tempered with that humility of knowing you are a frail, fallible human being, an earthen vessel, a clay jar that can be thrown away, forgotten, replaced. And it is truly hopeful that all of these things become part of the story that God weaves together, that this is God's weaving work, manifesting his glorious power in ways that you would never choose or be able to do on your own. But in choosing this text, Kelly, I as a preacher have been found to be have been given a gift. Because as preachers, we stand up here in front of a locally gathered community of believers each week, week in and week out. Sunday always shows up unless it's a really snowy day. And even then, you've got to prepare. And we reveal God's invitation to his people. In other words, we seek to be thoughtful in connecting the original context of the scriptures and the living word of God to the present context so that that living work can do its work of proclaiming Jesus Christ. And by choosing this passage at a time when we are uniquely celebrating and considering the work of God and equipping and calling you for ordained ministry in the Christian Reformed Church, and choosing this passage in a time when we are seeking to give you hope for what will be accomplished by God for his kingdom through you, as we look forward, Kelly, You've given us an opportunity to actually stick closer to the original context of this passage. For 2 Corinthians is about a pastor and the hardship that he faces while doing this work. 2 Corinthians is a letter of a pastor seeking to be reconciled with the community. It's about a community in conflict with its founder and its pastor. It is Pastor Paul's vulnerable laying out how this community has caused him great hardship as he has sought to share the good, transforming news of Jesus Christ. And mostly because he's giving them something they don't want. And hasn't that the story of leadership in Scripture over and over and over That most of the time when there is conflict between a church and its leader, it is because we are giving them something that they don't want. It is part of a dialogue that we only have one side of. But what we have is enough to see that there are enough people causing a ruckus because Paul is giving them something they don't want. They would prefer the things that they can sit back and enjoy, like the signs and the miracles, than the hard work and teaching about who Jesus is and the transforming work that he brings wherever he is proclaimed. And so even when Paul's presence among them just makes some of them mad, makes some of them uncomfortable, makes some of them lash out and undermine his authority and his teaching and makes them turn their eyes away from Jesus because they become blinded by what they think should be the right thing, Paul continues to seek to share with them the goodness of Jesus Christ. Even though they have caused him pain, even though they have made him suffer, he is still teaching them about the greatness of God. 
In other words, as a retired minister and professor from the seminary named Dwayne Kelderman likes to say, welcome to the ministry. On a regular Sunday, we would have focused more on this universal example of Paul's suffering because this is what we truly believe will happen to us when we follow our suffering servant. We truly believe that each and every one of us is called to such things as a follower of Jesus. But today, today we focus on Kelly's story and giving her hope as she commits her life to this calling as a minister of the word. And we look to Pastor Paul's story of his own experience to see and learn from him the hope of Jesus in the midst of hard times. That it is possible to fulfill this community, this calling, in a community of frail, fallible, human clay jars. Full of people who could be forgotten and passed away except for the fact that they carry the treasure of the presence of Christ in them. So Kelly, do not lose heart because you continue the thread of preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. What Paul knew God wanted him to do was to preach and teach about that transforming power of God that shines into and softens hearts and minds that transforming power of God that pulls veils from eyes and leaves Jesus face to face with his people, inviting them by the presence and power of his Holy Spirit to be more transformed into the likeness of our Savior. This is a summary of the closing words of chapter 3 and what Paul means when he says ministry in these first few verses of chapter 4. When he says, it is by God's mercy that we engage in this ministry. This ministry of proclaiming and teaching and preaching the transforming power of God that softens and shines into our hearts and minds, that pulls veils from eyes and has Jesus seeing them face to face, inviting them by his Holy Spirit to be more and more transformed into the likeness of our Savior. So do not lose heart, Kelly, in seeking out to carry carry out this ministry in as much purity as you can. Because the one who calls you to it is pure, and his kingdom is not in trouble if you fail. If you fail to convert even one soul, if you fail to, co- to keep our balanced budget, if you fail to give us the snazziest website in town, the kingdom of God is not in trouble. The only task before us, that, which can be so difficult for us to remember when the needs of our community come to our door, the daily grind of ministry, and the myriad of interruptions that we face. The only task truly before us is to proclaim Jesus Christ. And yes, this can be done by making our website better, (laughs) and through stewarding our finances well, and by introducing people to their Savior, because shining the presence of Christ can be done in all things. For it is not an empty proclamation because you yourself have known this presence 
You yourself know the power of its message in your life. You have encountered Jesus face to face. And at one of those encounters, he told you to do this work. Did you know you were meeting face to face with Jesus when you were talking to your parents about your future plans? Did you know you were meeting face to face with Jesus when you listened to the advice of your professors about whether or not the psychology or the church office would allow you to do what God has made you to do? So do not lose heart, Kelly, when your work feels foolish and worthless because it doesn't seem to be getting through to someone. Pastor Paul reminds us that there is more than one force at work in this world, seeking to keep people veiled from encountering the full glory of Jesus' shine. And like him, we will run into that power at work, even in the gathering of those whom Jesus calls his own. By becoming a servant to Jesus, we become servants of others. But listen to me closely. Those we serve never become our masters. As their servants, we commit to seeking their good because of our master. We seek the community's good, the individual's good, in ways that proclaim Jesus Christ. Because what we have to offer is not the treasure that shines in our clay jars. Not anyone's gifts and skills, not our resources or our sources of excellence. No, we and all that we are, all that God has given us that is good, is captured in the image of that throwaway clay jar, easily replaceable and forgotten. The treasure is Jesus Christ. The treasure is the one who comes to dwell and to delight and to shine. We are servants to one another as we hold the Christ light within us. So congregation, will you let Kelly be, as the song goes, as Christ to you, as the Christ light shines through her? And will you try to remember what that means And what that means for her to be a servant of this congregation. Because, dear congregation, in the midst of all of the encouragement and good and the gifts and the service and the love that you give to to Kelly and to me as as your pastors, you will do what we all do as frail, fallible human beings. You will be and have been like the congregation that Paul is writing to to seek reconciliation. You will and you have caused hurt. And you will make Kelly question her resolve, whether you mean to or not. Kelly, there will be and there already have been times in ministry that have caused you to say, but for the grace of God, I am. Find your grace and and rest in his grace and glory. You will be afflicted as you carry out this work, meaning you will feel physical, psychological, and spiritual pressure from other people to do and allow things that do not proclaim Jesus Christ. You will be afflicted by people who are blind to their own inner turmoil and lash out at you. You will be afflicted by feeling trapped by your congregation's expectations and assumptions 
You will feel these pressures, but you will never be suffocated or crushed because you can choose to let Christ shine as bright as possible, pushing out that darkness that tries to envelop you and threatens you in these moments of hardship. You can choose to respond as Christ would, including to go away to a quiet place to pray. And in that way, proclaim Christ with your words and shine Christ with your deeds. You will be perplexed while you carry out this work. You will be at a loss of words sometimes for the situations that you encounter and are invited into. My friends and I say that when we retire from ministry, perhaps we'll write a book about all of the shocking things we have heard. You will be shocked by the way that someone turns in their thinking. There will be times at the end of a meeting with someone that you think, what just happened? You will be perplexed, but you will not be driven to despair because there is one to whom you can always call to guide and direct you. You will never be lost if you reorient yourself to Jesus dwelling and delighting in you and return and be guided by your guiding principles. You will be persecuted, hunted down, spoken ill of, and accused of things that you have not done. You will feel alienated from the people you serve because you will trigger their shame. You will make them uncomfortable with the truth. You will challenge them in their comfortable lives to live a bigger and better life with God. There will be sabotage, and you will be persecuted. But you are never forsaken by the Holy Spirit who is God with you. You are never forsaken by Jesus who passed through the heavens and understands your sufferings. You are never forsaken by God, your creator, who destined you for existence. You will be struck down. The evil one knows that you are doing good work for Jesus, and he will attack you through others, and they will do it on their own. The blows will be hard, the words will hurt and deeply wound you, and more often than not, those wounds will go unreconciled because we have yet to learn what it means to truly live as authentic community and to understand what it means for us to be servants in the community of Christ. There will be Too many days where you think, boy, I wish I could just go do something else in your ministry. But you will never be destroyed by these hardships if you look to see Jesus in all circumstances. And whether you like it or not... God is willing to use these painful things for the goodness of his people, for the goodness of the people who do them to you. All of these painful things that come from your proclamation of Jesus Christ, Jesus can use in those face-to-face moments of invitation to his people. All of these things are what Paul means when he says to the church, It is death in me, but it is life in you. 
And the truth is, Kelly, sometimes you will be the one doing the afflicting, perplexing, persecuting, and striking. You will doubt yourself, and you will doubt Christ in you, and you will doubt Christ in others. You will be so overwhelmed that you are momentarily unable to, or just forget to, reorient yourself to the presence and promises of Christ through his Spirit. But yet, here is the beautiful thing about this passage from Paul. Besides the fact that we trust that God is always with us wherever we go, when Paul is laying out all of these hardships that he is facing, he doesn't say, I or me. He says, we. And so for Paul, that was Timothy and Titus, his fellow leaders of this community. But for you, it's the communion of saints. It's the cloud of witnesses. And particularly, it's your fellow co-workers in the kingdom of God, your classmates from seminary, your co-workers here in this church, On behalf of all of them, we promise to do our best to shine the Christ light to you in your times of need. And we ask you to do the same for us. For answering the call to ministry is to truly believe that you can do nothing else with your life, but continue to proclaim Jesus Christ. Paul says, we believe, so we speak. And we believe... So we speak because we personally know the triune God and all that the Almighty can do. And thanks to Paul, we do not go into this work naively, thinking it's going to be roses and butterflies and sunshine. But you, Kelly, as a young woman in the Christian Reformed Church, already know that it's not roses and sunshine and butterflies. You already know and have shown through the way that you have not lost heart through the discernment process of your call, through the way that you have not lost heart in serving at churches and in places where you could not let Jesus fully shine through you. And so your story gives us hope. Hope and the power of Jesus Christ. Hope and the power of proclaiming him in all that we do. So do not lose heart. And may may Jesus shine so brightly in your heart that it never loses his hope. Amen.